Welcome to the Wealth Standard Podcast with host Patrick Donahoe, author of the best-selling personal finance book, Heads I Win, Tales You Lose, and one of the nation's most influential financial advisors. The Wealth Standard's focus this season is investing. 2020 opened with markets and asset prices at all-time highs, but many of us experience more financial uncertainty now than we did a decade ago. Although there are more choices and opportunities than ever before, the risk-to-reward ratio teeters on a global fulcrum, contributing to the roller coaster of emotions surrounding financial well-being. It seems like everyone is walking on eggshells. This season, we'll cover topics revolving around investment theory and strategy, atypical investments versus conventional investments, and the role of investing within personal wealth strategies. The Wealth Standard Podcast is committed to inspiring you to be more financially free. There is no better time to gain clarity about your wealth strategy, your investments, and your financial future than now. This episode is sponsored by the new and improved Financial Independence Calculator found at thewealthstandard.com forward slash calculator. One of the driving forces of human beings is freedom, which infers financial freedom too. So several years ago, I set out to discover how any individual, regardless of their financial situation, could evaluate their finances in five minutes or less and have a firm date when they could achieve financial independence. The latest version of this calculator, which is free for listeners, can be found at thewealthstandard.com forward slash calculator. The calculator is going to take you just a few minutes to complete, and it's going to provide you with a specific financial independence date. There is a, a saying that embodies the idea of absolute and unwavering commitment. That saying is burn your boats, which is to say... When you make a decision or a commitment, there's no plan B, no escape clause, no way to back out of the commitment. And my good friend, Garrett Gunderson, has made a pretty bold commitment. He's made one of the riskiest moves that I've seen in a really long time. He just spent what most people would consider a fortune on training, coaching, Hollywood-level film producer and production crews and other consultants to create this one-hour comedy special primarily focused around the topic of money and personal finance. In June of 2021, I was fortunate to be invited to the live taping. It is seriously a level 10. It met all expectations and exceeded them. It's honestly hilarious. Now, before this film is actually made available, Garrett's going to be doing a multi-city tour and it may be coming to a city near you. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. Okay, so why did he do it? Why comedy? You know, I would say the taboo topics of politics and religion have a stepchild, which is money and personal finance. You know, the stack of cognitive biases that prevent the mind from rationally evaluating financial strategy, it's pretty thick. The exception is someone having an open mind. However, the rule is that, you know, what's familiar, what's status quo, it's to stay on that course. So Garrett hypothesizes that the humor is a catalyst to breaking through these filters. 
but he's written books, three of them. One of them, a New York Times bestseller. He's been in the space for over 20 years. And despite what most would consider a success, you know, his mission is to break through what keeps holding people back from living uh, a life that they truly want. He's spoken on videos, has a pretty broad social media audience, and he's taken his message, he believes, as far as he can go. And in this three-part video podcast series, you're going to learn a few things about what he's doing and why he's doing it. So number one is you know how powerful ideas have made their way into our belief systems and with really any vetting, scrutiny, or evaluation, and how difficult it is to go back and objectively understand these beliefs without shortcuts such as humor. Uh, number two, you're going to learn a unique perspective on wealth and what people are really after with their goals like retirement or financial freedom. And in the third episode, we're going to talk about Garrett's journey where he's put his essentially a really successful career and reputation uh, at risk and why he's done it and everything that has led up to this point in time and this decision. You guys are going to love these episodes can't wait for you to experience this new content from Garrett. Uh, to learn more about his tour and if it's coming to a city near you, go ahead over to freeflow.group. That's freeflow.group. Or you can go to the show notes of this episode and the links will be there. Enjoy. What's up, Garrett? What's up, man? How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good. <laughs> Just got to spend a little time with you last week, which was nice, doing some comedy. For your uh, financial guys, you've come such a long way. Like I remember back in the early, like early days, you know, decade plus, like you always had humor, but you brought it to like a totally new level. So I'm excited to talk about what you're up to. Yeah, I, I first want to maybe set the stage because, of course, there's probably people that have not heard of you before, mm-hmm. and so I was hoping you would maybe walk through your journey in the financial advising yeah. the personal finance space. You've written two best-selling books, New York Times bestseller, one of them. And, and so you've experienced quite a bit. I, I'd love to hear about your journey because I think that'll set the stage for what you're doing right now. So I won 5000 bucks for being the young entrepreneur of the year as a teenager. And that seemed like a ton of money for me. I mean, I, I came from a coal mining town. That's a actually, huge amount of money. Then. I actually had this crazy thought when they handed me the check. I'm like, oh, if anybody else made that much money in that second. Now, obviously, <laughs> that sounds just ridiculous. But that's what a teenager's mind was. I was just thinking, this is amazing. But I wanted to invest it. Part of it is because I lived in this little town. I want to get to the big city, which to me, Salt Lake City was big and intimidating, even though it's not. But coming from a you know, town of 12,000, it seemed big. And so I tried to invest the money, but I was under 18. And my mom wouldn't sign off as a custodian because... The Italian side of my family would put cash in coffee cans and put them in the cellar. There was like, everything felt risky. And looking back, it probably would have been because that was the 90s. And I probably would have put everything in the stock market just because it was doing so well in the 90s. Not knowing why it would work or how it would work. I actually remember when I was 18, this guy that worked for World Financial Group came and showed me this variable universal life policy and ran the illustration at 18%. So off like 70 bucks a month, I was going to be like a multi-multi-multi-multi-millionaire, you know, 40 years down the road before I was 65. And and like, that's illegal to show 18% first off. And no investment in the history of the world has ever done 18% a year for that period of time. So it was fascinating. I'm like, oh, 
this is compound interest and if it's not taxable. And so that led me into asking a lot of questions and actually getting an internship when I was 19 years old for Guardian and Park Avenue Securities. Now, you know the way that really works. An internship was really bring your family and friends so we can sell sell them (laughs) products. And, you know, the guy that ran that was very big on whole life. And I, at the time, didn't think whole life was that sexy. So I liked variable whole life because Guardian had this variable whole life product. So you could put it in the market, which was, again, the 90s. So it was doing really well. And then in the year 2000, two things happened. Number one, this, this dude from New York came. He, he was bald, but had a ponytail. He had a New York attitude and he, was te- and he was teaching and he was slamming variable whole life. And he's like, these are the 90s. This is the best you'll ever do. And I'm just going to compare because it was like, you know, it was just early 2000 and it just started dipping for a couple of months. And he's like, I'm going to compare with this just couple month dip and that great decade to what whole life would do. And it was even. And he's like, this is even with no risk or minimal risk compared to high risk. And I remember just getting a sinking feeling in my gut, like, oh my God. Because you would have got people set up on. Right. But the good news is Guardian would let you convert. Okay. They just let you convert the policy over to whole life. So we went through and started converting policies. And also at the time, I went back to one of my professors from college, Stephen Harrop, who managed $5 billion in municipal bond funds for strong investments. They were the number two investment company in the world at the time. He was the number one investment advisor in the world, not advisor, manager, money manager for municipal bonds. I mean, $5 billion in municipal bonds, Lipper, number one, like yeah. every, he was always number one as, as the guy. And then he decided to become a professor. He walked away at 55 and said, my next 25 years is going to be to pay it forward and be a professor. So we became friends and he's helped me dissect what was really going on in the market, how I didn't really know what I was doing. And so between that guy from New York and him, I got all my clients but one out of the stock market by... I started doing that in March of 2000. Everyone but one was out by May of 2000. Now, for those that don't remember, 2000, 2002 was three double-digit negative years in a row. So I saved hundreds of thousands, would have been millions. I just didn't have that much money under management because I was a kid. And most of my clients were family and friends from small towns. But it helped me preserve some of those relationships. It was hard to tell people I didn't know what the hell I was doing. But that really began my journey. Another friend, mutual friend of ours, Mike and I, Mike Eisen, we actually started flying together all over the country. I think it was 26 straight months I flew somewhere to interview people, to go to symposiums or workshops because I wasn't married yet. I had made some money in college, didn't have a lot of expenses. I actually owned a property in Cedar City, Utah, where I went to school. My then girlfriend, now wife, was living there while I was living in her parents' basement because I was such a cheapskate back then and just spending everything on learning this kind of stuff. And that's when I started to really focus on efficiency. I realized if you could save on tax, that was a pretty guaranteed rate of return. If you could save on interest, that was a pretty guaranteed rate of return. If you could save on non-performing fees or hidden commissions or improper structure to investments, that was a guaranteed return. Or if there were duplicate coverages or again, improper structure with insurances, these were all ways that you could put more money in your pocket without having to take more risk. and we actually, I, I teamed up with three other young guys that were always asking questions, always showing up to these kind of things. And we partnered in a firm called Ingenuity. And we actually started this thing that was 20 bucks a month because we realized like we can make people more money, but they're still the same person mentally. And so we would have people be like, oh, my friend did better in the stock market. And I'm not in the stock market because you guys told me not to be in it. What? You know? And so I was like, we, we figured we got to help people with their mindset. So these like 
producer perspectives. We email out to people five days a week. We, we had these producer symposiums, or producer forums, they were called once a month. And we started opening up in different places and we bring speakers in. I don't know what else do we do. We just had like newsletters once a month and interviews once a month on CD that we would mail out to people. So we really started to focus on mindset while we were still helping people with their finances. Okay. So let me stop. Let me stop there because you get exposure, right? Mm-hmm. To, I would say the mechanical, right? The more objective numbers side of things you go and study. Obviously you timed it perfect. I'm not sure you, nobody really knew that dot com was coming right. or when it would hit, I but great, great timing. Then you pivot, right? And now you have, I would say, a, a combination of number side of things, making people more money, but then mindset. So what led to the mindset? What led to that shift into, into mindset as opposed to just continuing down the path of making people more money? Yeah, I have this partner, Les McGuire, who's very philosophical. And we were in a program called Strategic Coach. And every time we'd fly to Chicago to go to these sessions, we'd get these like, healthy debates and talking about things and dissecting everything. And we would always talk about like our clients and what was happening with them. And I was talking about, I was doing annual reviews every time in person. I was doing quarterly phone calls. I was really proactive with that. And no matter what was going on with their finances, they still seemed to have the same level of stress, the same issues. And so we were seeing they're investing in our lives, going to things like landmark education, going to things like strategic coach. I mean, and it, it turned me from being a total asshole to only kind of an asshole. And then eventually, I think I've evolved even you know, to a pretty decent person. But thank God, thank God for my wife, I did all this work because I look back to the kind of person I was. And so we just recognized the impact it was having in our lives. And we had this philosophy that the best investment is yourself. Invest in yourself. You're your greatest asset. Like, and so like, what are we doing to help people with that? We're just helping them with their assets, not with the key life set. Yeah. And that's why we started that that membership, which was called the Producer Revolution. Now, <laughs> it, it was quite it was a pretty sizable movement, actually. Yeah, it was, yeah. And it created some fanatics, and and we had some philosophies that could have been developed a little bit more. Like I remember, like the answer to every problem was create more value, and like don't be a consumer, and like it was almost like some angst and judgment that came yeah, along with it, which totally. is kind of the visceral you get when you're 20 years old and think you know everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, it was a it was progress. It definitely wasn't perfect though. And it, that was back before we had to build our own platforms. There wasn't WordPress. There wasn't Kajabi. There wasn't like all these like plug and play things. We were like hiring developers, building it on C-sharp platforms and spending hundreds of thousands of dollars. And, and then it becomes antiquated so quickly. But I think it was a good step in the right direction because in 2006, I remember December of 2006, I was in Phoenix with one of my clients. And he was really good at mapping things out. And we were writing this seven-stage process called the Freedom Fast Track. And the second stage, I wrote Soul Purpose Activator. And it was like a really foreign, weird thing to think about considering someone's sole purpose, which is their values, which is their script for how to operate, combined with their abilities and also what they're passionate about in the highest context of how they live. And to put that in a financial program. And then later I was like, wait, this is what makes personal finance personal. Yeah. And it just seemed, it seems common sense now, but at the time it seemed radical. It seemed out there. It seemed almost airy fairy and I'm going to get attacked and we did a little bit, but not too bad. And then I eventually wrote the book, Killing Sacred Cows uh, shortly after that. And now it's a, you know, <laughs> now I'm in a whole other world of like recognizing that there's just not as many people that want to be educated as that want to be entertained. And that finance is super intimidating for a lot of people. 
And so what led to the, what led to that understanding, right? Because not to say that people have all stayed the same over the last couple, couple yeah. of decades, right? But now we have a different society. I mean, social media, right, took place in between the time you started and, and now, yeah. right? And I would say from a political standpoint, from a communication standpoint, you know, even internationally, like the, the world is now getting way more connected, mm-hmm. right? What are some of the experiences that you've had that kind of started to set your course a little bit different than you may have thought in the beginning? When I started speaking, I think I started speaking more heavily in 2005. We had some events before that, but I was, my other partners did some of the speaking. I was only doing it here and there, but in 2005, it was like, I was speaking every month for our own things and going and flying to other places. And when I was going to speak at other people's events, sometimes I would be in a breakout session back in those days, but I was a breakout session on finance Mm -hmm. and I might be going up against any other session. And it was hard to get as many bodies in my session as everybody else's session. So I just, I started really hiring a lot of coaches, you know, Roberto Monaco, Jonathan Sprinkles, Sprinkles, Teresa Eastler, like everything around speaking to be like, okay, I've got a different, like, I can't be a financial guy that people are intimidated by money and bored to listen to it. Because they won't listen, they won't engage, and then therefore waste the time. Hey, taking a break from the show, don't forget that as a podcast listener, you get free access to the financial independence calculator at thewealthstandard.com forward slash calculator. You see, when asked a simple question, what are you ultimately trying to achieve financially? 99% of respondents say, I want to retire someday. I was shocked a few years ago when I learned two statistics. Number one, how few people actually saved anything for retirement. And number two, of those that did save, less than 20% would ever successfully save enough and not have to keep on working. I couldn't believe it. I then realized that what people really want isn't retirement, but financial freedom and ultimately a reasonable way to get there. That's why I designed the Financial Independence Calculator. You can get access by going to thewealthstandard.com forward slash calculator. Now back to the show. So I started doing that. And then I remember I went and spoke at this event in Vegas. It was all dentists. And what everybody got, every speaker had time on the main stage, but for a very short period of time, like 10 minutes, right? And so, and sometimes at dental events, they get CE credits for going to courses. Yeah. But I'm a finance, I never got to offer CE credit. So I'm now competing with people that are known in that industry and that might be icons. Maybe they're the best oral surgeon or whatever, or that they have CE credit. And I'm a financial guy. And I remember I've been working for a while with these coaches and I got up and I give my 10 minute talk and I had the smallest room in actual physical size. Mm-hmm. And I had only a small square to stand in because people are sitting on the floor. People are outside the door looking in because I'm joking around a little bit, but I'm giving them a lot of information. I'm my tonality is going up and down. I'm, I'm not monotone. I'm not wearing a tie. I just I, had, I started growing my hair right around that time, and it was just like this entirely foreign thing. And I was like, okay, that was the first taste I had of it. That was like, okay, there's something different. And then a lot of times at those events, you do short videos to say what you're description of your thing was, or I started learning marketing so I could write what it was and they could engage at a different level. So I saw that entertainment at a pretty early time. And there there are a lot of times where 
I would show I would show up at an event, and I was one of my coaches, Michael Port, would say a surprising delight speaker. Like nobody knew my name. They were and, they were delighted, but I would be you. like the number one or number two rated speaker out oh, of cool. fifteen to twenty speakers because I could bring that energy, I could bring that entertainment, and then. I was in Italy for a summer with my wife and, you know, just taking all this time to relax. And we just had so many good nights where we're like all joking around and having fun. And because I had two months with time off, I just was thinking and writing some jokes for just fun. And then right when we came back for my birthday, we went to an Atlanta Braves game and I'm telling her some jokes. She's laughing. And my wife is like, where are you getting these jokes? I'm like, from my own brain. I'm like, I'm really proud of myself here because like to make her laugh. She's not a fan. She's not like, oh, Garrett's a money guru. No, she's like, take out the garbage. I knew you from college. Like, like I remember she comes to one of my events. There's 450 people at this event. I finished speaking and she goes to the bathroom and someone in the bathroom goes, you're Garrett's wife. Congratulations. She goes, congratulate him. Like she's just, you know, just not impressed. She's laughing. And then that Sunday, that was a Friday. That Sunday, I flew from Atlanta to Vegas. And one of my friends, Keith Yaki's event, goes, our next speaker's effing hilarious. One of the funniest dudes you're ever going to hear. I'm like, okay, I got a 50-minute financial talk. And he just said I was one of the funniest dudes. How do I do this? So I walked out on stage and I go, oh, maybe the worst introduction I've ever had. But I guess he did mention I wrote a New York Times bestselling book called Killing Sacred Cows, which might sound amazing and flattering until the very first podcast I ever did. And the guy called it killing scared crows the entire hour and a half. And then at the end says, what should I invest in? I'm like, oh, I've got a few suggestions. Bifocals, literacy, a new career, the crowd's laughing. I'm kind of teaching. I'm getting a setup. And I'm like, oh my God. So I call my buddy who's a comedian at the airport. I say, hey, come to my office tomorrow. For two hours, we wrote some jokes. I did an open mic. And then from August, 2017, Comedy became a hobby. But during COVID, it became more of a complete pivot into a way to integrate my career. Because you were there the night that I filmed my special where called The American Ream, where I took this merge of money and funny and did an entire comedy special with some of the biggest names to ever produce comedy being involved. My executive producer, Marty Hallner, won an Emmy with Seinfeld. You know, my editor, Michael Schultz, won an Emmy with Chris Rock. You know, my director has, I think, more comedy specials on Netflix than any other director. And he was up for the Emmy for the Fresh Prince reunion. I mean, so they understood that there is no court jester of finance who's out there poking fun at it. Back in the day, the court jester could make fun of things that were real, that anyone else would get killed by the royalty. And so I'm like, cool, I can start poking fun at something so that we can start looking at it in a different way. Because when I show up and just talk negative about a 401k, it's really like offensive to some people. And it's like hurts them because they've worked so hard to put money in it. When I tell jokes about it. And that's where I was, oh, that's kind of true. That's where I was going to go. So first, it's like, I think the, like the, the magician or, or the funny archetype, right? That's a hard archetype to own. I think nat- naturally that's not your archetype, but yet you've discovered this part of your personality that connects to people at, at a different level. Cause in my experience in finance, right? You can easily toe the line of making people wrong, offending them, telling, you know, I've done it. we've yeah. all done it. And that's in the, in the financial world. It's, it's interesting where there's some very determined belief systems. They are reinforced by books, by personalities, by media. 
And if you think or believe something different, it doesn't even matter the logic behind it. From an emotional level, people are just like, don't talk to me. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Standard Podcast. Be sure to visit the show's official website, thewealthstandard.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Guest opinions are their own. If you require specific investing, financial, legal, tax, or any other specialized advice, please consult an appropriate professional. We welcome and appreciate reviews of the show. Head on over to iTunes or Stitcher to leave your review. And don't forget to subscribe to the show to get access to every new episode and exclusive interviews this season. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Oh,